And welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me as always, your beat writer for The Athletic. I've known this guy a long time, and I can say with 100% certainty, he has never once called any championship trophy a, quote, piece of metal. He is Cody Staben, Caden. Cody, how you doing? Doing all right. It's the lockout. This is weird. Finally, we don't have that much to talk about. We'll try to make it this one entertaining anyway. Yeah, we got a couple uh, couple anecdotes I think we'll share that will keep people entertained as uh, we appreciate all listens on Spotify and Apple as uh, obviously baseball has come to a halt physically with, uh, with the lockout. We'll get to some notes on that later, but last time we talked, Cody, Javier Baez had agreed to a contract and that was still pending physical, so that's how early we talked about it. Now we're several days removed. There's been a press conference. There's been pen to paper. Javier Baez is a member of the Detroit Tigers. And fan base on Twitter seemed like, especially in the moment, looked at it as a consolation prize in the shortstop market and free agency. Uh, from what I gather, the Tigers brass did not look at it like that in any way, shape, or form. Seemed like a lot of people were really juiced up with this, uh, with this move. I think they're happy they got someone, you know, as we talked about um, on our emergency pod. I don't know. For a while, it was like, okay, you could see a world in which they still get Correa, like after the lockout. And you could also see a world in which they don't get a shortstop unless they have to kind of settle for paying someone more than they're comfortable paying. Um, I think they were happy they got a deal done. Uh, You know, I think I've kind of seen both sides of the Baez contract, both sides of Javi as a player. I think now that he's been a Tiger for almost a week, uh, I'm kind of warming up to the idea a little more. Again, I don't think he's the complete player that maybe Carlos Correa is. If you haven't seen the Javier Baez's Worst Swings YouTube video, you should go look at it. I think it's hilarious uh, just to see him repeatedly chase horrible pitches. Uh, But it's kind of a reminder like, wow, Javi Baez is really good. He's really exciting. He's going to be a huge upgrade for this team. Um, overall, you know, I, I, I think I feel a little better about the signing than I did, um, you know, the night or early morning that, that it started being reported. I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, the Detroit free press had a good story today, um, in which Baez's agent says, Oh, he was the Tigers number one choice the whole time. Now we know the Tigers made offers to Correa. We know they sat down and had contracts, contract talks with story, the free press story says they offered Marcus Simeon six years, which I had not heard before. So it's like, okay, if he was their number one choice, I'm not sure they would have been offering all these other guys. But uh, clearly they liked all the shortstops. They tried to sign multiple of them. I, and I think Alavila certainly feels very good about the Javier Baez signing. I was a little more curious, okay, what does A.J. Hinch really think about this? On the press conference last week, he seemed pretty juiced up, talked about being really excited, keeping Al on the phone until 4 a.m. and talking with Javi late at night in Puerto Rico. Uh, I think AJ's happy to have a good defensive shortstop, another dynamic player on his roster. And again, I think as time goes on, uh, Tigers fans are going to feel better and better about this move. You know, it's entirely possible, I think, that however the Correa thing ends up, where he goes and what his contract looks like, it's entirely possible that we're going to 
realize that the Correa to the Tigers thing, while real, was also sort of like too easy to connect the dots, and it never really, it never, like, if if A.J. Hinch wanted to put his foot down and said, we have to get Correa, mm-hmm. I'm confident they would have found a way to get Correa. But I, from what I gather, I don't think A.J. Hinch looked at it that way. I think he knew he needed and wanted an upgrade, and they got it. And he's also a guy who used to work in the front office, so he knows in an MLB front office, so he knows that you know the financial aspect of all these free agent signings. He he has experience in that area, which is you know rather unique for a manager. But it could turn out that Carlos Correa just never really wanted to come to Detroit. Like we don't know. Like obviously, I have no sourcing. I'm not reporting anything. But it could be that he didn't look at coming to Detroit as the right move for him. I'm sure he would have if the contract was just, you know, bonkers better than everybody else. But you, I read your bias story, and a lot of this stuff is pretty common, but the Tigers had to sell bias on the vision of the franchise moving forward. And he seemed to like what the, what the state of the team was and the direction they could be going. Maybe Correa didn't want to wait around two years for Riley Green to really find himself in the majors. He didn't want to wait around a couple years for Casey Mize or to figure out if Matt Manning um, is really going to be a formidable starter at the major league level. Maybe he didn't want to do that. And by the way, that's fine. No judgment uh, um, on my part. But I just get the feeling that it was probably just like, I don't want to say like a lazy narrative, but it was just kind of too convenient and you and too many easy dots to connect and everyone just kind of latched to it. And that's not even Tigers fans in general. I think that's baseball in general. It's like, all right, Correa's a free agent. His former manager's there. He's going to go there. They have a need. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like it was maybe too simple and it is very possible that it was never really as realistic as maybe we just thought on paper. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think I said this last week, like I, what if AJ Hinge is close enough with Carlos Correa that he's having breakfast with him and bringing him baby gifts, which I don't know, maybe that was just a great negotiating tactic, but um, <laughs> look, look, he managed the guy. He likes the guy. I'm sure he would have loved to have him on his baseball team, but I don't think he was so enamored with Correa above the rest of the market. I think you're right. If he would have put his foot down and said, we got to get this guy. Uh, maybe there's a chance it happened. I think the Tigers were highly interested in bringing Correa. I think he probably was at the top of their list. But when you really sort through it, when you look at the money, again, AJ's managed the guy and seen him miss a whole lot of games. And then you think, okay, is this the guy we want to give 10 years? Uh, yeah, it was probably never quite as concrete as it might have felt on paper. Um, so, so, yeah, like, I'm totally losing my train of thought here, but but I think you make a, a very valid point right there. Here we are. I think the Tigers brass is probably already tired of the everything being compared to Correa, but the reality is that's going to continue for uh, probably a long time. Yeah, it could be up to 12 years, depending on the contract. <laughs> Correa yeah, <size>. maybe so. <laughs> um, also of, of, of note, so I'm curious 
how you interpret the numbers Baez had last year to finish the year in New York. So we've talked about before about how momentum, like carrying from like season to season is, is BS. It's not like a real thing. Um, Baez did not have a good 20 and was not his full self the full season in 21. Um, I don't really know how to or what to make of like the strong finish he had to the year in New York. Um, you know how I also don't like signing people to huge contracts after they had the best year of their career on a contract year. This is not the bias situation, but he did finish strong knowing that obviously in the back of his mind that like dollars were on the line. Um, what do you make of what is there to make, if anything at all, of him finishing the season so strong and it kind of salvaging the narrative from what it started out the previous two years? I think it's good to see that, okay, his walk rate can get better. His strikeout rate can go down. I also think a lot of this narrative is complete BS, um, and the Tigers are going to continue to tout it and that, oh, if, if Baez just walks a little more, I mean, he can be an MVP candidate. So, you know, he can really be the best shortstop signing in this crop. And to a degree, that's true. To a degree, he also played 47 games with the Mets. Uh, he's played 862 games in his career, and his own base percentage is only 307. I just don't make that much out of a 47-game sample, especially for a guy who's kind of regarded as a very streaky hitter. Uh, what did Willie Castro hit in 2020 in like 36 games? He hit like 340. How'd Willie Castro do in a full season? He didn't do very well at all. Uh, we all know Baez has big-time potential, star potential, can get really hot at the plate. I think we saw him kind of at his best offensively there with the Mets. That's in his game. He's also going to have big droughts, times where he's striking out a lot. Uh, this idea that, oh, Miguel Cabrera is going to make Javier Baez such a better hitter. Like, I think that's one of the more ridiculous things I've ever heard. Like, I'm sure he can learn little tips and tricks from Miggy. That'll help him. But the guy's 29 years old. He has 3,000 um, career plate appearances. I think he is the hitter he is for the most part. If he can make some small adjustments to walk a little bit more, strike out a little bit less, I think that's best case scenario. I don't think we're going to see Baez replicate the 371 one base percentage he had in his short stint with the Mets. Okay, you say like that's best case scenario, like little tweaks here and there. I almost kind of look at it as that's all I really would ask. Like I'm sure. to to a certain extent, I'm a big believer in like, especially in baseball, it kind of translates to other sports, but especially in baseball, I'm a big believer in, hey, look, it's 162 games, it's a grind, it's the summer. Uh, just be you, and don't try to be something you're not. Like, to like, I don't think the Tigers sign him with the notion of, all right, let's get three more walks a month, and then, you know, the, the, the on-base percentage looks like this. It's like... You know what he is. He is what he is. And that, in my opinion, is good enough. And also you can man not manage around it, but you can build the rest of your roster knowing the plus and minuses of, 
I guess what you would say right now is your most marquee player. All due respect to Miguel Cabrera, obviously the Hall of Famer, but he he's your most marquee guy in the lineup in the field. And you can just work with his flaws. I don't necessarily think they should, and I don't know if they will, but they shouldn't be asking him to do too much more than what he already is, in my opinion. Like, if you if you teach him to be a better player, hopefully he does improve, but I have zero, I am zero percent banking on Baez, like, improving his plate discipline, like, drastically to make me feel better about this deal. Maybe that's just me drinking the bathwater, but I, I do, I do think, like, you signed him to be Javier Baez. I don't want him to try to be somebody that he's not. And then we can work around, if you're the Tigers, we can work around his flaws. It's worked out well for him so far. I think guys should look for improvements. But I don't think he's a guy that ought to try to like drastically change his, his approach. Well, no. If you look back, you know, the story I wrote after the Baez signing, I, I love all Joe Madden quotes on Javi Baez. They're like a perfect baseball pair. And, you know, he basically says you can't try to tame baseball genius. He said it would be a moral sin if you uh, tried to, like, restrain Javi Baez. Mm-hmm. I think that's the right way to look at it. I think A.J. Hinch is a manager who knows that. I think if you signed Javi Baez trying to tweak his game in any way, you probably signed the wrong guy. I think the Tigers know this. I think they're going to let Javi be Javi. Um, but here I was saying I'm already feeling better about the signing, and now I'm back to kind of knocking like the, the <laughs> hopes and dreams of the fans and even Baez's game because there's also in the press conference every player since I've covered the Tigers, the Tigers get a new player, and someone asks like, "Oh, how do you feel about playing in Comerica Park?" And it's like I think that's like there's a little bit of reality to it. I also think it's kind of a lazy narrative. And Baez basically said something about like, "Oh, playing in a bigger field is really going to help him." And I was like, okay, like to take advantage of the gaps and the spaces in Comerica, you have to put the ball in play. And that is not the specialty for Mr. Baez. I guess there's now this narrative that, oh, because Wrigley was a smaller park and it's windy, he was just like felt that he had to hit the ball over the fence and he doesn't have to do that now in Comerica. Like, I don't know. I think that's really silly and not something that's that's very real. I'm sure he'll hit some balls in the gaps and turn them into triples because he's a great athlete. Uh, but yeah, put the ball in play to take advantage of Comerica, and that's just not Javi's strength, and it probably never will be. Yeah, uh, that's. I guess it makes for some good, you know, ten second clip or you know a nice little note and notebook or whatever. Like, but I don't think he. I don't think that was part of Al's sales pitch. Come to Comerica Park, where it's 420 <laughs> no. to center. <laughs> if that's your sales pitch to any hitter, it's not a very good sales pitch. I don't think... Ask I Nick Castellanos. Was... Ask our boy Nick, Nick Castellanos about it. Yeah, so former teammate of Javier Baez. So, true, yeah, true. For, oh, wow. Uh, for, a sh- for a short time. So um, if he if he did cl- place a call to Nick and, and he still signed with the, with the Tigers, they must have really been convincing in every other uh, aspect of the sales pitch, uh, but to you, you brought up Miggy uh, helping Baez uh, in the lineup, or that notion at least. Um, whether that actually happens, I would cast some doubt. But Miggy clearly did help this signing. 
um, as as you noted in your story, um, he's still heavily revered by Latin players, and despite his declining play and, and advancing age, still looked at in very high regard, and seemed like he was sort of the, uh, the ex- not X-Factor, but one of the things that Al had in his back pocket for signing him, or signing Baez, was, hey, talk to Miggy, you know, get, you know, yeah, he'll he'll tell you all about what we're trying to do and plan for AJ and you know all these things. Um, I think it was another example for me of of sort of having to remind myself, you know, there is still Miguel Cabrera impact, whether it it is heavily on the field or not. There's still impact of Miguel Cabrera, and and sometimes I know I'm guilty of it. I think we we see him too you know, too many times, you know, every single game he plays and all that stuff, and we kind of think about the faltering of his play, but that shouldn't necessarily dismiss the kind of things that you can do for your franchise still, and that this was an example, you know, by his signing. Yeah, Javi talked about it. I mean, he brought it up multiple times in his press conference, and that's another thing that I'm guilty of sometimes thinking, okay, like, Playing with Miggy, like, that's a very lazy narrative, too. That's like anybody who comes to the Tigers is obviously going to say, yeah, it's cool to play with Miggy. The reality is Miggy, although he is a veteran, he is uh, – I think he cares a lot about his teammates. He's known, especially other guys from Latin America, kind of taking them under his wing. He's not your prototypical veteran leader, you know, who shows up and makes this huge impact on the clubhouse. Like, that's just not – Miggy's Miggy and sometimes he's a little aloof and he's goofy and you know it's not to say he doesn't care because he clearly does but I think this really speaks to the fact he is a I mean he is far more famous in Venezuela than he is in the United States and Baez is from Puerto Rico but I think Miguel's star power carries across you know Latin countries and any you know same thing with Eduardo Rodriguez said Miguel was a big factor these guys grew up watching Miguel and and worship him and he carries such star power to a degree that you know that that transcends the star he is in Detroit I also wonder I wish I knew how this conversation actually went because I wonder (laughs) I think we saw no I think we saw shades of it the last year or two that Miguel is coming to terms with like his veteran status maybe is becoming it's cliche to be oh he's really improved his leadership skills but I think he's probably gotten better at realizing he is an ambassador for the Tigers and realizing if he wants to finish his career on a winning note, he has to kind of do his part to attract other guys to Detroit. Uh, I think that's probably something Miguel is taking more seriously than he might have even in the, in the prime of his career. I don't know that for a fact, but it kind of feels like it. Yeah. I mean, just think about it. Anytime you're having to face reality and come to terms with, you know, you're not the same player you once were or you know your body doesn't react the same way it once did and all these things you start looking around and you get a little bit more introspective I mean I think that's completely reasonable we're definitely seeing it we're going to get more examples of it next season if it happens uh when he reaches 3,000 hits I'm sure there will be another sort of retrospective uh Miguel Cabrera he even in spring training last year um talked about you know, kind of taking the responsibility to talk to the media a little bit more, even something yeah. like that, which I'm, I don't think the general fan really cares that much about it. But 
it is something to be one of the guys who kind of is the voice of the team to the public and, and sort of faces the music when things don't go well. And, you know, that's something. That's something. And I think players look to that as well as a form of leadership if you're the guy that's willing to sort of, you know, take the brunt of the heat or, you know, whatever um, when things don't go well. And I, th- I think we have seen more of that from Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, and that's, that's definitely still part of the code of major league teams and clubhouses. I'll, I'll always remember, I think it was Jason Hayward, um, kind of dodged the media or was being real chippy with the media early in his career with the Braves. And Chipper Jones ripped him to reporters saying, look, if you want to be the face of this franchise, if you want to be um, the guy in Atlanta, like you have to be accountable to the media. That's kind of part of your job. And I think that, that it is still viewed that way a lot of times in major league clubhouses. Maybe uh, that's fading a little bit, just given the way players can control their own narrative and their own brand a little more, even if, as a result of that, things are becoming more individual based in the way players use the media. But um, clearly Miguel felt that way. And yeah, that, that interview last spring training was just wild how introspective he was. He apologized for not talking to reporters all 2020. He still only talked in 2021, like after he did something really good, but you know, <laughs> he talked a little more uh, and, and it was via zoom. So um, no, I, I, I think it's very interesting to see Miguel out kind of recruiting and, and clearly making a convincing sales pitch for these guys to become tigers. I would guess if Javi called Nick Castellanos, the sales <laughs> pitch would not have been as convincing. That's just my guess. <laughs> Although Nick does also have reverence for uh, Miguel. I, uh, so oh, he, oh, he, absolutely. Yeah. he at least would have, uh, would have given a ringing endorsement on that. Um, Kind of tying a bow on the bias stuff. Uh, your story had, which is available on the Athletic, had a lot of nuggets in there from uh, marketing bobblehead uh, day, you know, uh, bobblehead days, uh, the the Delta Airlines, uh, you know, membership with all the miles Al accumulated from uh, flying Florida and California, and I guess maybe Detroit too. I don't know. Uh, Staying up till 4 a.m., which you mentioned, uh, AJ and Al talking about everything. And uh, and the E-Rod thing was kind of interesting, too, where it's like, you know, how are we going to – is there going to be a defense behind me if I come over here? Yeah, the Red Sox were not all that sound defensively in certain areas. And uh, and, and Al had to kind of tell him this was part of the plan, too. Um, what, was there any nugget that you – reported on her maybe maybe it didn't even make it into your story that you found most amusing or most telling um as a uh as sort of a example of what's going on in Detroit right now in the offseason um one note I threw anything I could find in this story because I kind of knew it was going to be the last story of actual interest <laughs> for a couple months so uh did a lot of research on bias threw in every little nugget i can find and we'll, we'll have a, a, a profile on hobby that goes deeper into some of the the stuff in that section of the story hopefully uh toward the start of spring training or sometime I'm not going to run it in the middle of the lockout because um i think that would not make much sense no one's going to read it yeah but no i think the bobblehead anecdote man i after al said that you know i put it on twitter and there were a couple people like complaining like oh classic avila like get al back on script i don't know i think that is the most telling anecdote about the state oh, of the tigers yeah. for most of al's tenure 
And another reminder, like of what the GM has to deal with. He deals with so many things that aren't just the on the field product or assembling the the forty man roster. I would get calls like at the start of every year, like, "Hey, if we have a bobblehead night for insert X player, like, can we be assured he's still going to be in the roster <laughs> in June or July?" I think it was 2018, my year before. Like, I think they had a bobblehead night for a guy that was like no longer on the team. Like, they had a Nico Goodrum bobblehead night this year, and there was a time it was like, I don't know if Nico Goodrum is going to make it to Nico Goodrum bobblehead night, and he he barely did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it probably helped that he was he was injured and had to uh, be on a rehab assignment, and that that probably kept him around through the end of the year. Anyway, so he would get these calls, and I don't know. He's probably like, what do you say? Like, scheduling player promotions was difficult for the Tigers in their marketing department for the past several years. And it just got a lot easier when you have Eduardo Rodriguez under contract for five years, Javi Baez under contract. Uh, there's an opt-out after two. But if, at least for the next two years, you can plan on some Javi Baez promotions. And you can have Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson promotions and Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal like suddenly you actually have players you can promote. Uh, I think that's going to increase fan interest. I think it's going to be good for the players and their brands. Akil Badu, one of the most marketable guys in, in you know um, on the team. Uh, so I thought that was a great anecdote. I love that Al shared it, even if it seemed like it kind of came out of nowhere. I thought it was super telling about what this signing actually means to the franchise. Yeah, I mean, just there's an example in my little recording studio right now. I got myself a, a Tigers calendar, and uh, <laughs> Mr. November was Jacoby Jones. And there's, I mean, I don't, I don't want to run it down or whatever, but there's a couple guys on that calendar that uh, didn't last very long on the team. And as of now, by, before the calendar is technically out of use, as of now, are no longer members of, of the franchise. So, I mean... I guess I would just say that stuff's real. Like whether it, like how much it matters, I guess is open to anyone how they want to interpret that. But it's real. Um, so yeah, I mean that he probably doesn't have to field as many calls like that anymore. And you know what? That's not on the GM job description. So anytime you can not have to deal with something like that, I think is a huge win personally for Al. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, one note before we get to some stuff about the lockout. Uh, What's going on with Dustin Garneau? What, what's what's uh, what, what's the backup catcher situation like for the Tigers right now? Yeah, so the tender deadline has has come and gone. Matthew Boyd's time as a Tiger, as we talked about last week, is sadly over. No big surprises. Joe Jimenez is back. The one thing that did catch me a little bit off guard: Grayson Griner non-tendered. Dustin Garneau tendered a contract. I thought. It would probably be the other way around simply because Griner had major league options available or you non-tender them both, try to bring them both back on um, minor league deals. Garneau is going to enter spring training with a major league deal, even though he has no options. So if your catchers are Haas and um, Tucker Barnard, like what was the point of ever ever uh, offering this guy a deal? Like, I think he's going to make like 800000 If you have to DFA him in, in spring, it's kind of pointless. Well, there are two reasons. Number one, 
even though we view major league contracts as guaranteed, it, this kind of gets in the weeds, but not all that money is guaranteed right off the bat. And I think if they were to waive him before a certain deadline, they wouldn't be on, on, um, on the hook for all that money. But number two, talking to a few people, it sounds like there is a world, and the reason the Tigers tendered Dustin Garneau is because they want him around. They like what he did, the way he managed the game. And there is one roster scenario. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's a decent scenario where the Tigers could carry three catchers to begin next season uh, with Eric Haas doing a little catching, a little outfield, maybe even a little first base. I think they think that could be more beneficial than carrying, say, um, another kind of backup infielder because they obviously like Haas and his bat, can move him around, but still get the defensive benefits of Dustin Garneau. Uh, I still feel like that might be a long shot to actually work out that way, or if it does happen, it'll probably be short-lived and won't make it past like May or something, especially if you were to get Torque and these other guys up here. But it sounds like that's the reason Dustin Garneau was tendered a contract. I think it's kind of interesting just to think that they the, the Tigers are thinking that way, that they want to be able to move Haas around that much, and they, they like Garneau enough to think, okay, maybe we begin the year with three catchers. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, and it's one of those uh, one of those moves, one of those scenarios that would largely go overlooked. But these are the kind of yeah. things that keep you know, like AJ and Al up at night. Like, how do we manage like yeah. this portion of our roster? How do we sort of you know managing a baseball team, putting together a baseball team is definitely chess, not checkers. So you've got to really anticipate every little scenario as much as possible. And, you know, the the flexibility of Eric Haas plays a part in that. I'm not sure. We don't have to get too much into this. Uh, I'm going to be very interested to see how Eric Haas does next season. Because I think his role on the Tigers is still very much, long term I guess I would say, still very much up in the air now he's going to get the opportunities to solidify himself uh but definitely a guy that's far from a guarantee it'd be a part of this team 2023 i mean and it's not inconceivable that he could you know not make the whole 22 season like i'm not predicting that i'm it's definitely it's definitely on the table i would say so Mm -hmm. um Let's let, let's transition a little bit to some general uh, lockout stuff. We don't have to get. I don't want to get deep into issues yet, uh, but it definitely seemed like both sides just knew we're not getting a deal done. Uh, what was it like a seven minute meeting where you know? Yeah. It, and I don't and I don't know who initiated it or who came to the table knowing. Like, and I'm I'm not trying to take sides specific to that. But I definitely could interpret that neither side was really going in these like last couple days in what I would say good faith. Uh, they knew they were far apart. They knew they weren't going to get a deal done. And they just essentially took a little vacation to Irving, Texas, apparently, in order to uh, to meet for seven minutes or 20 minutes over the course of a couple days uh, through... What you've gathered and, and what you've read uh, seems like we're kind of in this for the long haul. Is that is that safe to say? 
Yeah, for sure. There's not going to be any uh, surprise Christmas morning resolution. You know, the good these meetings in Texas, at least they lasted longer than like Lincoln Riley addressing the team at Oklahoma or like whatever Brian (laughs) Kelly did before he left Notre Dame. But uh, it seemed like it was kind of a charade, like just meet to say we met. Um, (laughs) There was there was never going to be uh, a deal. I think the question now is how long does this last? Kind of the consensus idea I keep hearing is February 1st is going to be like the soft deadline. If things are to start on time, spring training, you probably have to come to a deal by February 1st. Then you have a scramble a couple weeks, players signing, players trying to get to Florida and Arizona, and then boom, you start on time. Everything's great. Uh, Ken Rosenthal, the athletic, kind of says he sees that happening. I'm a little skeptical because like the entire purpose of this lockout is as Rob Manfred said, well, pressure gets things done, whether that's right or wrong. It's true. You know, there's probably not going to be a deal unless one side exerts a lot of pressure on the other. I think um, maybe even the union tries to cut this into spring training a little bit because the closer we get to losing meaningful baseball games, that's where the owners and the players both would really lose money. I could see maybe a slightly delayed start to spring training just because that's when things will get really serious. Okay, you have to get a deal done or everyone's going to lose money and your sport is going to really suffer. Um, If you lose a week or two of spring training, I don't know. It'd be nice to think everyone plays along. and Oh, yeah, let's agree by February 1st and everything can be normal. Uh, Based on the history between the union and the owners, that just sounds a little too optimistic for me. Uh, so yeah, I think we're going to be in this for a while. If opening day ultimately starts on time, I don't think the sport's going to be irreparably damaged. The good news is they have time to get a deal done. It's just a matter of when it actually happens. You know, I was, uh, I was going through it and first work stoppage since like what, 93, 94. Mm-hmm. And my father will always say about that time, he always goes, you just never thought they would actually cancel the World Series. Like, just think think about how baffling that was. Well, obviously, we, <laughs> we were not around then, uh, so we, we, we can't go back to that moment. I'm sure a lot of people that listen can, but my, that's one of the things my father says. You just never thought that they would actually not play a World Series. Um, hopefully, it doesn't get that bad, but this is the first of the four major sports in... Uh, in North America, this is the first true digital age work stoppage. So the NFL won in 2011. Obviously, Twitter wasn't nearly what it is now. And basically everything has advanced so far in only 10 years technology-wise that we're almost a completely different society. Um, But that lasted four months. So that's the most recent work stoppage uh, I can't remember, you know, the NHL one. The NHL never really recovered from, uh, I'm not going to say didn't recover, but it became a different sport, you know, remember the Versus Network and all that stuff. It was not clean coming out of, of their, uh, I believe that was technically a strike. I don't believe that was a lockout. I could be wrong. Someone can correct me. But we haven't had a work stoppage that I can remember being this ugly um, in the immediate uh in the immediate aftermath, and you could tell both sides are very far apart. Uh, Rob Manfred does not seem like he's a guy that uh, 
he's not good in crisis behind a microphone. I don't know if he's good in crisis actually as his job, but behind a microphone, he's not good in crisis because all he does is says says things that irritate fans. Uh, I referenced the piece of metal thing at the open, and then after you have this huge level interest free agency period that got people talking about baseball more so than they ever would really on uh, early December, late November. Um, he goes and says that like one of our most negative things is players, you know, reactions from fans is players leaving in free agency. Seems really out of touch to me. Again, we don't have to get too far into it, but it just it it does not strike confidence at all in in uh, in this being a smooth process. And there are a lot of things that the players feel very passionate about. Um, and I'm sorry, I forget who wrote the article on the Athletic, but. Um, there was a story last week, a couple of weeks ago, about their new labor negotiating head and uh, for for the players, and that really stuck with me. Like, with the way the players were talking and what they feel like they were wronged by on the last CBA, it's like they might dig in here for a while. And you're right, the time is really the only thing that's gonna put pressure on either side um it's important as i say for everybody whenever there's a report to remember who benefits from it because there's gonna there's this is gonna play on the media to a certain extent and in the public eye because they're gonna you're gonna get swayed one way or another between the owners and the players and as as longtime listeners know for me uh i'm a big believer in going against that tug and just sort of like trying to take each issue and figure out how you feel about it as opposed to like the owners are evil or the players are selfish and you know all that stuff uh so i i definitely get the sense that it could be it could be ugly four months from now that's when you're talking about changing opening day so that's what i was that's why i looked up how long that work stoppage was and it really kind of illuminates for me that baseball's offseason is pretty short. You know, like, you got the World Series that ends in early November, and then we're talking about, like, February, you know, catchers and pitchers reporting, and and it doesn't seem that far away. So uh, I'm unclear on one thing, though. So I know they can't communicate or they can't, like, go to the facilities and stuff, but like is AJ Hinch or the strength and conditioning coach allowed to like give Akil Badu like a workout regimen? Is he allowed to do that? No, that's a good question. I'm still not totally sure about a lot of the ins and outs of this. My understanding is like teams and players can't have contact with each other. Maybe they're working on exceptions for like injured players who are undergoing rehab. Um, I don't think they can like, Hey, Akil, here's your workout regimen for December. I think a smart strength and conditioning coach would have done that. Like right. the day before the uh, lockout, right. here's yeah. everything you need. Like, mm-hmm. and look, like, even though I think there's a lot of precautions that, that teams are, look, we got a text from the Tigers, like don't hit up Al or AJ right now, which, um, and, and some teams have been like, made it very clear. Like team representatives won't be talking to the media. Um, just because there's a fear, like if you say the wrong thing, it, it could have like legal ramifications. Right. Um, so there's gonna there's a lot of that going on. I think their team's playing it very careful. Look, I'm sure there'll still be like strength coaches like texting players little questions that 
Um, if anyone gets upset about that, they need to, they need to calm down, but yeah, it's going to be from what I understand, um, pretty much a freeze out. There's going to be very little communication between players and teams. And you do wonder that what that means. Like we know Chris Fetter works pretty hands on with his pitchers and sends them reports and stuff in the off season. A guy like Matt Manning, I think that's pretty important. So can Chris Fetter talk to Matt Manning right now? Um, and if he can't, and I'm Chris Fetter, I'm going to be like, what's really going to happen if I like shoot Matt Manning a text to see like what's going on, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I guess that that would come with like implications. Then it's no longer a lockout if you got coaches talking to players. So I, that's all in the weeds, and I don't know the answers to all those questions. But it, it seems like that's an, that type of communication is not supposed to happen. Um, the other point I want to make sure we hit on: it sounds like all these rule changes we've been talking for years about. Oh, the next CBA is going to come with rule changes. Are they going to ban the shift? Are we going to have a pitch clock? been talking up until the last couple months like this will be a big part of the new cba sounds like we're not going to have any of that sounds like it has become entirely focused on the economic system and the rules of the game are not going to be part of this collective bargaining agreement which is actually a pretty big change from what we've been expecting yep it's all about money and no one should get upset at players for wanting to get the most money and the most convenient way possible and honestly i don't really think you should get upset at owners for wanting to be able to structure contracts within reason that you know allow you to not have to immediately pay a guy 25 million dollars you know I, there's a balance there and that's what's the whole point of uh of negotiation but it was cre- crazy to see like mlb.com uh and and like the team websites with just uh just like no player picture just their name and no current player stories or content at all mlb.com that's why I, I brought up like the whole digital age thing maybe yeah. the nfl did that i don't remember it though i think so and so it, it just it it was so strange to see like it's so weird ken burns documentary is gonna get so many plays on mlb it already gets yeah. played a lot but that's all you could really put on there is just that's like that in the sandlot baby <laughs> and uh that like bad babe ruth movie let's go yeah so uh if you're if you're in the throwback baseball movies or documentaries this might be your your favorite winter because i don't you can't have harold Wenerls on there like talking about yeah because technically that's mlb like promoting oh, you know yeah. what i mean like it, yeah. It's it's a, it's a crazy time. It's a crazy time. Um, it's going to be very very strange. Um, for me, I'm hoping to have a few creative ideas. And and look, if this gets settled by spring training, it's really just going to be okay. Two months before Christmas, in which no one's trying to, or two weeks before Christmas, where no one's trying to read about baseball, and then January. But I'm going to be in need of some ideas. So feel free to hit me up on Twitter via email, whatever, with some story ideas. Uh, I'm going to put out a disclaimer. If you hit me with something I've already done, I'm going to be a little upset. So don't tell me, <laughs> oh, I wonder what Armando Galarraga is doing now. Oh, I wonder why Pud Rodriguez thinks about his time at Tigers. I've done those stories. So look, like, if you if you have a good idea, I'd love to hear it. But don't hit me with something that, that is, is, like, obvious and that I've already done. So, But I, I am going to need to get creative, so I'd appreciate help. I want to know what you guys want to read about at the same time. Uh, yes, and that is at Cody Stavenhagen on Twitter. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley, and our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. So I think I think that's a, a good amount of baseball talk for now. Um, I think we're gonna do another uh, college story segment. 
Uh, we're going to call these College Chronicles is what we're going to call them. And, uh, and I'm going to take the lead on this. It involves me and my, uh, my dating life prior to uh, getting with my now fiance, soon to be wife. Uh, this I think was... it's important to know that, that Kieran's sharing this story because we've talked about my dating yes. misadventures so much through the course of this podcast. It's time. Heard a little bit a couple weeks ago about Kieran's uh, uh, failed college relationship. We're, we're going to learn more about Kieran's past throughout some of these stories. And this is a good one. Yes. And and it's only fair, right? We can't we can't just have you... <laughs> Have to bring you know bring bring the the sorrow stories. There's got to be something in it for me, you know. So this was in uh, November of 2015. Uh, Cody and I were uh, were living together at the time. I graduated and was working at the newspaper in Stillwater. Cody was wrapping up his last semester of college, and uh, we had befriended. Well, you had reconnected with a high school friend, and uh, and we would go out with her and and her friend, you know, fairly regularly there for a bit. Uh, we're gonna call her Mary. Uh, names have been changed. Uh, we're gonna call her Clearly Mary. Clearly a pseudonym. No one's named Mary anymore. <laughs> I think that makes it all much better. Yes. So this, like I said, it was sometime in November because I remember it was cold, cold enough to me to wear like a North Face jacket and a beanie, and uh, it was Mary's birthday. It was like a Tuesday or Wednesday night, not like your typical bar night, so we go out for her birthday and, you know, hang out and, uh, you know, have some drinks and stuff, and she's in a pretty good mood at this point, you know, and uh, and I carry her in my arms from a bar at one end of the strip to the other end of the strip, uh, which I don't know why I did that. I think we just oh, thought... Oh, too impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like she was like stumbling. She was fine. Yeah, was, yeah. You were, uh, you were doing the fireman's carry, trying to prove you were a very strong man. And she was eating it up. Yes, and it should be noted that at this time, like I did have some romantic interest in her. So it wasn't... So, oh, yes. Yeah, so that, that needs to be noted. So... So we go from one bar, the cricket, to the to Murphy's, which is at the end of the strip. Murphy's, as you know, just to rec- you know, rem- remind people, uh, famous for the neon palm trees. It was Cody and I's favorite bar, and so we're hanging out. We're still seemingly having a good time, and then something comes over Mary, and she is upset. When I say she's upset, she's not angry she's very sad she has to go to the bathroom and uh and and cry cry it out whatever was upsetting her i i didn't i've later found out we later found out that it was because a guy that she really wanted to uh to date or whatever said he would come out and celebrate her birthday and no show so that jake gyllenhaal style <laughs> no show ridiculous the jake gyllenhaal um <laughs> So, I so Cody and I are, are sitting at the bar, and trying to process everything that is going on. It's like, well, this turned out to be like not the night that I really expected, and you know, a girl I had romantic interest in is crying over another guy not being there. You know, like it's it's not it's not necessarily looking good for your boy at this point. You know, and uh, <laughs> and. So in the midst of her crying in the bathroom, 
I get a text from my uh, my college girlfriend, uh, who, like you, was still in school. And we, at this time, had basically zero communication because I had put together some context clues that she had a new boyfriend. We didn't know this at the time for 100% certainty, but we figured it out, basically. And... So I'm like, why is she texting me? So I look at the text, and it says, and again, this is probably like 11 o'clock, uh, you know, 11.30 on a Tuesday or, or a Wednesday night. So I just want you to know that you made the biggest difference in my life. And I'm looking at this text. And I'm trying to process the girl I want to date crying in the bathroom about another guy. And the girl that had broken up with me a couple months prior, presumably with a new uh, boyfriend, texted me, you made the biggest difference in my life. And I'm just like, what the F? Like, what, what, what is going on here? So <laughs> I don't even tell you. I just show you the text. You read it, and you're like, again, you're like, what the? And I go, <laughs> let's go take a shot. Because <laughs> that was the only response I had. It's like, with all those things going on, that's the only response I had. I was like, I need a shot of something. So we went and took a shot. It was ridiculous. Kieran, you know, he had been, over the few months, kind of in contact with his ex-girlfriend, maybe making some, you know, the efforts like, oh, I'll get back with her. Clearly wasn't going anywhere, but then every now and then she would pull something like this. We were on a trip in Austin, a journalism trip, and she's like calling him. She's like saying, come to Austin. Uh, happened. Yeah, you've made the biggest difference in my life. Uh, I don't know if we should skip right to the punchline, but uh, you know, we later found out her quote-unquote anniversary with her uh, new boyfriend, now mm-hmm. husband, was what? Was it September 1st? Was it before that? Yeah, September 1st, September 1st. September 1st. So in theory, she was in a relationship at the time she was texting these things to Karen. September 1st, also two weeks after they uh, got out of a year-long relationship. Two weeks. Yeah. It, it babbles the mind to this day. Luckily, you know, bygones be bygones and all is well that ends well. But uh, on the surface, it still makes very little sense. So... Uh, so that's that's my sad one of my sad dating stories. It's not the only one. <laughs> I, I just want that to be known. <laughs> it is not the only one, but uh, it, it it was one that I wanted I wanted to share with with the loyal listeners of Turn the Corner. So, um, Cody, uh, I think we should uh, I think we should tease your lockout activity, and we'll talk about it next week. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right, so for to get you guys to listen next week when there's going to be literally zero things to talk about, Cody has tried to find a second career uh, <laughs> during the lockout, and it 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 did not go uh, so hot. So uh, we'll we'll leave it we'll, we'll leave it Let's at just that. Just say I'm already disillusioned with Hollywood. <laughs> My time in showbiz was short lived. <laughs> so we'll leave that there and. Uh, want to remind everybody to uh, follow us on Twitter. Like I said, he's at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. Podcast page is at Turn Corner Pod. I want to thank 
first of all, I want to thank all the listeners, but I especially want to thank those that shared their uh, their Spotify top plays or whatever, and, and we were on there. Um, it's awesome, man. Uh, it, yeah. it it feels feels really really good that you know people make us a part of their you know weekly routine, and uh, and can't can't say how uh, how awesome it was to see that from from our perspective. So definitely appreciate all you guys that uh, that listen. Period. And if you listen to us enough to we are in like a top five or something, really very much appreciate it. I wonder how many top fives we made for like Tigers personnel. I'm sure there were a few. I just wonder who and how many. Yeah, I mean we're we got we we got a couple loyal listeners over there. I mean, <laughs> that, that, and we'll leave it at that. Got to keep those trade secrets. So some uh, like us, probably a couple that don't, but you know they they keep listening. So <laughs> yeah, love me, hate me, just listen to me. That's all I care about. Um, so we'll we'll go ahead and wrap up there. Um, Make sure to subscribe to The Athletic. If you have not subscribed, subscribe to the podcast. If you are not yet a subscriber, if you want to give us a five-star review, that'd be great. Love the good feedback. Um, We are on Apple and Spotify. And, Cody, I'm sure there will be some sort of athletic, uh, another athletic deal that the people could take advantage of at some point. The Athletic is a great resource now, especially as you try to analyze – uh, the lockout and everything that's going on with that. Some some great articles in there. And it makes you a smarter makes you a smart fan. That's probably the best way to say subscribing to the athletic. Makes you a smarter fan. So once again, at Cody Stamen Hagen, at Kieran underscore Steckley, at Turn Corner Pod. Thank you everybody for listening. So for Cody Stamen Hagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Thank you for listening.